Buying a business and scaling it is not as difficult as you think, and there are too many myths out there that only millionaires can buy and make money off of them. Anybody can buy an existing profitable business and scale it without prior experience, and many times without using their own money. Arturo has started, bought, and sold over 55 plus businesses across 18 industries. He has coached thousands of business owners, individuals, corporate employees, service employees, freelancers, real estate investors, retirees, homemakers, and many others in buying businesses and scaling them, and in doing so, transforming their lives. And you can too. And to help get you started, here is your host, Arturo Henriquez. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode. So today I want to share with you uh, gold, fool's gold, or basically how to make sure you know if a deal, a business is good for you to buy or actually bad for you to buy, right? So the first thing you want to look at is the seller's income, right? The profit, the earnings, what are they taking home into their pocket, right? So if you're looking at the business to buy, you have some information about the business. You have hopefully the financials. If you're going through a business broker, they probably gave you a CIM, which is a confidential information memorandum or a prospectus or something that describes the business and includes financial information, right? So look at what the seller made last year in terms of profit, because eventually that's the money that you're going to have access to. Right? As the new owner, the most important thing you're thinking about when you're buying a business is how much money am I going to make for me? Not how much money is the, is the business making before expenses, is how much money after all expenses am I going to be able to pocket? Right, That's the first thing I look at. And also, just as an add-on, is it priced correctly? So if the profit is $100,000 and it's selling for $300,000, it's selling at a multiple of three times earnings. And so is that a good multiple? Is that a good price based on earnings? Well, again, if it's four or five, I would say it's on the high end if it's a small business. If it's between two and three, maybe 3.5, depending on the business, I'd say it's in a, in a, in a good spot. So anyways, know what the profit is, right? See how much money the seller earned for the last two, if not three years. How consistent is it? And what I like to do is I like to average out the last three years because if it's not consistent, maybe one year it made $100,000, the next year it made $150,000, and then the, the, the last year it made $70,000. Well, there's a lot of inconsistency there, so I don't want to buy it at a multiple if it's growing, I don't want, or the last year is higher than the previous years, it's going to be more expensive. But that's really not the the true reflection of the business or the profit because the previous years it made less, right? And so what I like to do is I, I like to average out the last three years, the profits, so I can have a good average because this business may not be as consistent. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. I've bought businesses that have been seasonal. I've bought businesses that have been inconsistent, but they still make profit. They're still a good business. They've been around for a long time. And I've also bought businesses that have been extremely uh, consistent and, and the revenue as well as the profit has been very predictable. 
So you really want to focus in on the profit to the owner, sometimes called seller's discretionary earnings or owner's benefit, because that's the money that you're going to either be taking home and making a living off of or creating more wealth or maybe reinvesting in the business to scale more or even maybe hiring a general manager so you can step back and be more of a semi-absentee or absentee owner who is just more on the strategic side or supervising side and is not involved in the day-to-day operations. It's your decision, you know, however you look at that. But that take-home money is what's going to give you that ability to make those decisions, right? And you're just not looking at the net profit, right? Because there's other details that you need to take into account specifically in small businesses that we call addbacks, right? Addbacks are maybe the owner paid himself or herself a salary. Maybe they're running, you know, other expenses such as health insurance or their their car payments or or other expenses that are not the business related, meaning if those expenses did not exist, the business would still run perfectly well. It's just that the owner decided to pass those through the business, more likely than not for tax purposes, right? And then once you understand the seller's discretionary earnings or the owner's benefit, which I again, they're interchangeable, You've got to ask yourself, is that business worthy of me? Is that enough money for me to take home if I'm running the day-to-day operations? Or maybe it is enough money for me to hire somebody else. Or is it a business that I may own for maybe one or two years, make it more efficient, maybe not scale it, but make it more efficient, and then sell it at a higher multiple with a higher profit margin to make a flip of a business and make, of course, a gain there, which is what we do all the time. Now, the second thing you want to look at, and it's related to the first, is revenues, right? Revenues. At the end of the day, the business is in business to make money. It needs money coming in, right? But the most important thing is the top line, because if you don't have the top line, you don't have the bottom line, which is the profit, which is the take-home, right? You don't have sales. You don't have a business. So every time you're looking at the business, look at the top line. And again, where the revenues... For the past two to three years, how are they? Were they consistent? Were they predictable? Did they go up? Did they go down? And why did they go up? Why did they go down? Ask the seller. Ask the business owner. Look into those details. Because when you have enough revenue, it means that you have enough money to hire employees. And the reason that you want to hire employees is for you to eventually, again, become the owner of the business and not the operator. And also because you want to scale the business, right? You want to maybe reinvest that business into machinery, again, hiring people, marketing, so you can scale the business and grow it and have that revenue grow higher and higher, right? And But if you don't have enough revenue, then you're not going to have enough money to hire new people, to buy new equipment, to invest in marketing, to have more leads, et cetera, et cetera. And we can get into the details of that, but ideally the revenue is coming from somebody, right? Your clients. So look into those things. Figure out, do we have enough revenue? And really, do we have enough revenue for myself, right? Because I I have plans with this business. Usually, I don't look at businesses doing less than half a million a year because it's really not a business. It's more of a job, right? It's a one-man hobby thing, right? It's a solopreneur. They're making a living and there's nothing wrong with that. But to really build a business, there's going to be more work involved 
because it's smaller and everything is dependent on one or maybe two people. So it's really more of a job than it is a business. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. It is what it is, right? But you're building yourself a job if you buy something that's too small. And some people are okay with that, but they're not necessarily buying a business. The third thing you want to look at is the business model. And it can be as simple as understanding, hey, is this business easy to compete with, right? With yourself, is this easy for someone else to literally just take a few thousand dollars and start a competitive business with that business that I'm looking to buy? Think about these things. It's not necessarily good or bad, but you need to understand what you're getting yourself into. And some businesses are very competitive, very easily. They have very low barriers to entry in the services businesses, right? Electricians, plumbers, contractors, those types of businesses. A lot of people have uh, the ability to get involved in those businesses because you just really need a skill set and you have a business and you can start growing that business. Again, not necessarily good or bad, but that's very different than a fabrication facility that's producing, you know, something that's very unique. You know, so if you look at something like Coca-Cola or Gillette, you know, Coca-Cola is a great example. The brand name is so big. I know there's Pepsi, so Coca-Cola and Pepsi, but it's so hard to compete against the colas, right? Pepsi or Coca-Cola. Richard Branson, the multi-billionaire, tried to create his own Coca-Cola virgin cola, but it didn't work out because it's very difficult to compete with something that's been around so many years and the brand is very unique and the ingredients are very unique. And I'm not saying you need to buy Coca-Cola. What I'm saying is you have to look at the business model and see if there's low barriers to entry or high barriers to entry. And are you comfortable with that? Can you see yourself doing that and buying that type of business? And that's why I love the boring businesses, the boring businesses that we need every single day, landscaping, plumbing, HVAC, gas stations, storage units, dry cleaners, car washes, et cetera, et cetera. These are the things that we use. Every consumer pretty much uses on a day-to-day -day basis. And so it's going to be very hard for those that business model to eventually go away. Something radical or new paradigm shifts have to happen for these businesses, these boring businesses that make money for them to suddenly not be viable in the future. Now, these tend to be businesses that have a lot of competition. So there's low barriers to entry, but they're unique in the sense that they're going to be here tomorrow, probably a year from now, probably 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now as well. The next thing you want to look at is what is the owner's role in the day-to-day -day operation? This is extremely important for you to understand what the owner is doing day in, day out. Also, to grow the business, to run the business, and what's going to happen if the owner leaves tomorrow. Now, it's usually customary to have maybe a two-week transition period, but we teach our students in our program to negotiate up to 90 days of transition periods so that they have the full knowledge of the seller and they can implement things not abruptly, not in a rush, but in a smooth way that benefits not only yourself, but it benefits the operations, the business, the employees, the clients, the suppliers, et cetera, et cetera. And we negotiate this without having to pay the owner additional monies uh, to stay on for a longer period of time. Now, again, what happens if the owner is not there? 
and the business is solely dependent on him or her. You know how to handle that. How many hours does the owner work each week? Is that something that you want to do or do you have the skill set that the owner has or is it very hard to replace the owner? It's very hard to have those skill sets so it's going to be very hard to find someone to replace the owner. It's something you need to pay attention to. If it's impossible to hire someone somewhere else, then maybe you need to reconsider. If you want to even buy that business because you want to find someone who ideally can replace the day-to-day activities of the owner, whether it's you or somebody that you hire, right? Hopefully, you could just go out there um, and pretty much a lot of people can do the job. It's simple enough to replace the owner. I personally like to look now at deals where there's already a management team in place where the owner or the seller is more involved in the strategic decisions and is more of a shareholder, a semi-absentee or absentee owner of the business because they have a management team in place and they've been kind of systemized out of that business. Now, if I buy a business where the owner is very involved in the operations, we will implement a methodology that we have developed uh, called the reset method, which will ultimately have the business which is right now dependent on the owner that I'm buying it from, not be dependent on any owner or any key employees. And that's a whole nother process. That's a whole nother conversation. But ideally, you want to be more strategic and less hands-on in the day-to-day operations. Another thing you want to look at is the marketing. What kind of marketing is the business doing right now? I bought a business recently where there was absolutely no marketing And they had a list of clients, past clients, talking thousands and thousands, I think maybe 50,000 that they did not reach out to ever again. And to me, that's low-hanging fruit in terms of opportunities. And I can immediately bank on that and increase the sales and scale the business just by using the existing and past client list. And if they're not doing any other marketing, it probably means they're doing word of mouth. And those are the types of businesses that I like because there's a lot of upside when we start building a lead generation machine that involves many things depending on the business. But you know that if you do some marketing, if you generate leads, then there's going to be a high probability that you can very easily scale the business, grow the revenue, the profits, maybe double, triple that because that business Right, has an amazing product because it's all referral-based. It means that the people, the employees are usually good at running the business. And so they keep getting referrals and they're doing no marketing, but they're staying in business because of the referrals. I love those type of businesses. Now, one thing to look at marketing is that you do not want to have your eggs in one basket. You want to have a diversified lead generation machine. And I'll give you two examples. I've seen businesses that rely 100% on networking, specifically networking groups, specifically one networking group. And 90%, if not 100% of the revenue comes from that group. Well, if they get kicked out of that group, and there's many networking groups out there, you know, BNI is a very well-known one, but there's a lot of local and regional ones as well. If they get kicked out of that group, they've lost their revenue, right? Or if that group changes, right, it's memberships. If new people come in and out, you are still dependent on that group 
to make your business viable in terms of revenue. And so you want to avoid being in that type of situation. And I'll give you another example. Uh, we bought an uh, Instagram-based business which sold swimwear and athletic wear to ladies. And it was doing amazing for a couple of years. And then Instagram changed its algorithm and we could no longer reach out vis-a-vis direct messages through groups. Uh, and I don't want to go into the whole business model, which basically killed our business model because we cannot pivot to another marketing source. And so that business died. Luckily, I had made back all my investment and made a great return. So I'm not um, upset about it, but that can happen. A lot of the e-commerce businesses out there are highly dependent on platforms like Facebook, like TikTok, like Instagram, like LinkedIn, and any other social media. And if you don't have that skill set, uh, or you can't find the right people to have that skill set to sell your products and services, then you will not have any revenue. So it's a very specialized skill set to be able to sell on these platforms that you don't control. And so I usually say, if you're going to go into e-commerce, make sure you understand how to sell on Facebook, how to manage Facebook, how to operate uh, Facebook, as well as Instagram and TikTok and LinkedIn and every other social media outlet that you're generating revenue from, because that is your only source of revenue is through these platforms. You can't go to a networking event and create that type of volume. You can't you know, put a billboard out on the highway and create that type of volume. So be very weary about the marketing, especially if it's reliant on one or two sources. You really have to have a robust and diversified lead generating machine. Another thing you wanna look at is the employee base of the business. So what's going to happen when the employees find out that there's a new owner? Is that good or bad? And how can you mitigate any people leaving or attrition, especially A players, right? If you're going to buy the business, usually there's some kind of resistance from the employees when they say, you know, someone else is buying this business. Uh, so you need to be there. You need to figure out, you know, how you can make that transition easier for them. Can you build some rapport with them, especially with the management team, because they're the ones that are actually going to be operating the business uh, in your stead. So that's something to look at. Also look at key employees. Are there some employees that are so important to the business that if you lose them, the business is going to suffer? That's something to keep in mind. I like to look at uh, businesses and put the employees into three buckets. One is my A players. The second ones are possible A players, prospects that could become A players, but maybe didn't have the proper guidance, maybe didn't have the proper clarity, maybe didn't have the, the tools at their disposal to be the best they can be to have a better performance. And then there's a third bucket, which are employees that aren't into their job. They're not as loyal. They're not committed. Their performance is low, right? They, they're always stretching hours. They bring mad morale. And so you want to get rid of those. And remember one thing about business is you want to hire slow and fire fast. And I would fire fast those employees so you can start building the culture that you want to build. Another thing you want to look at is the growth potential. You know, what's the capacity to grow and scale this business if that's your objective? For example, you want to maybe ask yourself, what if we got 20 more clients today? 
What's going to happen? What are the bottlenecks? Are processes in place? Do we have that capacity? Do we have the facilities? Do we have enough employees? Are they trained, right? What's going to happen if we grow, right? And do we have the capacity to grow, right? It's an important thing to know, especially if that is your objective. And I love to think about, you know, having these constrained questions, right? If you want to hire one salesperson, what would it look like to hire 50? It makes you think outside the box. But getting back to growth potential, again, that's only if that's your objective. But, you know, we've had a lot of chefs come through our program and they want to scale the business, but they also want to buy a restaurant. And so they have two conflicting interests because they want to buy a restaurant and restaurants by definition do not scale, but they want to scale a business. But restaurants, you really cannot scale. I mean, yes, you can maybe grow 5, 10, 15% in revenue. But you can't really duplicate or triplicate the sales because you're limited by the production capacity, which is the kitchen. There's only so much equipment that fits back there. And you're also limited by the capacity of the dining area. There's only so many clients that can uh, sit there and dine there. And hence, buying a restaurant is very difficult to scale, if not impossible. The only way to do that is to start a second restaurant, and you're essentially starting a new business. So you really want to understand if the business has growth potential, if that is your objective. Now, another thing you want to pay attention to is the sector, right? The sector, the industry, like digital cameras, right? At one point, digital cameras um, and you know cameras that had film were a big deal. That industry is almost gone, if not erased, because now you have cell phones that have replaced these types of cameras. And these are very, very good cameras within the cell phone. So if you were in the you know film industry, not the Hollywood, but you know making film or cameras, well, you would be out of business because YouTube videos, Instagram, all of that is now taken over. And so you, the need for a camera is no longer available, right? So you need to understand what's going on in the industry. What you know is it going up? Is it going down? Is it is it progressing or is it regressing? And I think the best example at least right now, at the time of the uh, recording of this episode, is if you look at retail. Retail for the past couple of years has gone online. Amazon, Walmart, and, and thousands, if not millions of other stores are replacing brick-and-mortar stores, such as you know Bed Bath & Beyond, Dillard's, Borders, Best Buy, Blockbuster, to name just a few. And there's many, many others that are going out of business because they can't compete with e-commerce. Even malls and commercial strip centers have to reinvent themselves because that's where the retail is. And a lot of those retail tenants are going out of business. Also, research the industry. You know, Understand what happened maybe in the last recession. What, how did this industry fare? Because if you go into another recession, are you going to be able to you know, survive and maybe come out even more triumphant, right? Or are you going to go out of business? Because if you look at that industry and how it has done in the good times, but also the bad times, then you're going to be able to see whether you have the wherewithal to survive a downturn, but also thrive in an upturn. So in general, look for all these things when you're buying a business. That's what's going to decide whether the business you're buying is a good business or not. And some of this is small details that can either make or break your deal. 
And these are just examples of some points that a lot of our students are learning in our program to make sure that they're buying the right business that's best for their overall objectives and goals, not short-term, but long-term. Obviously, there's a lot more involved in deal-making. This is just the tip of the iceberg. But these are some great points for you to keep in mind as you're looking for businesses that are best suited for you, for your needs, for your goals, and overall for you creating wealth and getting into a business where you can thrive in. Like always, thank you for listening. If you love the How to Buy a Business and Scale It podcast, then we know you would love Business Acquisitions Accelerator Program. Here, we have helped thousands of individuals buy profitable existing businesses without having prior experience, and sometimes without using their own money in as little as 90 days, and we guarantee these results. Head on over to www.arturohenriquez.com forward slash BA. And if you want to learn how to scale your business and remove yourself from the day-to-day operations by turning your business into a lean operating machine like over 600 business owners have done, then go to www.arturohenriquez.com forward slash SS.